Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. Bonus episode! I'm always excited to share really good content with you guys. At the end of the day, this is what it's all about. It's about walking with Jesus together. And today on the podcast, I'm going to share an interview with my dear friends, Jay Meyer and Jessica Zweier. Jessica is the executive director of a nonprofit that I care deeply about, Joshua Recovery Ministries. Jay Meyer has been on the podcast before. He's part of the Higher Leading Podcast with Jay Meyer. Jay interviewed Jessica for his September Recovery Month podcast series. And because I love Joshua Recovery Ministries so much, because I love Jay and Jessica so much, I wanted you to hear their conversation. It's so good. So I'm going to go ahead and plug this in as a bonus episode this week. And next week, I'm coming back with monologue episodes. So they're going to be 15 minutes or less. They're going to be diving deep in. So you're going to want to make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And the highest comment you can give all of us, whether that's Jessica, Jay, or myself, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know will benefit from hearing a little bit more about the importance of recovery and the work that Joshua Recovery Ministries is doing in the Miami Valley. So now, without any further ado, here's one of my favorite conversations with Jay and Jessica. Welcome to the Higher Leading Podcast, recorded in the peaceful setting of Serenity Acres, just outside the beautiful village of Covington, Ohio. This is episode number 22, and I'm your host, Jay Meyer. This is the leadership podcast that focuses on the key traits of those who lead their lives and others to the beat of a higher calling. Higher leaders are purpose-driven. Higher leaders are builders of others. Higher leaders are focused on making the world and those around them better. Well, September is National Recovery Month, and as most of you know, I'm very passionate about helping others release themselves from the bondage of addiction and in turn becoming all that God created them to be. Today, I'm super excited to share a conversation I have with Jessica Zoyer, the Executive Director of Joshua Recovery Ministries. Jessica certainly exemplifies what it means to be a higher leader. Jessica Zoyer, how are we doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. You know, I've been involved in various levels with Joshua Recovery Ministries since its inception. I believe it was back in 2008. And so excited when you were named the new executive director. What was it about a year ago? Is that right? Or it's been more than a year yeah. ago? Yeah, June of last year, June 1st of last year. Yeah. Yep. And when I decided to have the focus of my podcast for the month of September to be on recovery, since it's National Recovery Month, obviously you all were at the top of my list because I just know you've done great things in the Dayton region. Always have had a lot of respect for you back in my days of running the Next Step, which was a recovery service at Gingersburg Church. Joshua was a big supporter that would bring several men there every week and we were able to bring them to Jesus and it's just been so cool but but I'm going to back up here a little bit and uh, I'm interested in your journey Jessica and what brought you to Joshua if you could just quick summary of how did you get in this position as executive director of Joshua Recovery Ministries 
My journey with Joshua has been over 10 years now. I came to the Dayton area back in 2012. And during that time, I came back to the Dayton area because my my parents lived here. Um, Unfortunately, I had been kind of taken over, I guess, by a gambling addiction which had gotten completely out of control. And, you know, my parents were peaceful enough, graceful enough, knowledgeable enough to allow me to come into their home and help me kind of change my life. But when it came to gambling, especially in that time, there was nothing. There was just really nothing in the Dayton area. There was one, there still is only one meeting at a church in downtown and Dayton. Like it's not like NA or AA. There's just not a lot here in Dayton yet. So with that, like, I just really had to find a place where, where I felt comfortable, where I could share my heart, where I could do things. And so it was genuinely just a Google search. And I found Ginghamsburg church, which had the next step services. I hadn't been to church since I was a little girl. My parents got divorced when I was young and we left the church. I hadn't been really back in a church. I definitely hadn't been involved in a church. So I knew I went into next step the first time. I think the first time you go anywhere, it's horrible. I remember the first time I walked into a 12 step meeting, everybody's like laughing and joking. I couldn't understand what was so funny. You know, my life had been crushed. So it was a very awkward moment. I felt the same when I went to next step because I was like, gosh, you know, I think in, in addiction, we're like, but I only, I only did this and you did that. And like, you know, to see people who had been such heroes in their own story. They've gone through such traumatic things. And yes, they picked up addiction. And, you know, now they were walking with Jesus and just telling the most amazing stories. And I think it was only, you know, the second time I walked in, people already remembered my name and said hello and that they were happy to see me. And it was just such a great feeling. So I continued to go to Next Step. I actually got like a part-time job at Ginghamsburg doing housekeeping. And just really, that's the foundation of where my recovery grew. I was able to the person who was my manager of the site team spoke into me. I was having a hard time with my counselor. They had shared my story. It was really painful to me. And she just probably just a whim from her, but she just looked at me and said, if you don't like the way somebody's doing something, you should do it yourself. And I really took that to heart. I went to Indiana Wesley and I got a bachelor's in addictions counseling. I started during my internship. I was able to work under John Jung and Mike Martin there to do my practicums. And that's how I really got involved with Joshua is being, they used to have like a support group and just really being involved in the backside of Next Step is how I met, you know, Ron Will and Will Alejandro and so many men that were residents at that time and developing friendships and mentorships with the people who had started Joshua. And it just really kind of exploded from there. Six months with him being at Gamsburg, I was baptized. I was a care pastor. I was, you know, I was doing all these amazing things and just watching the way that God was working in my life, even though I wasn't in, you know, a sober living. Because Joshua wasn't the only transitional or sober living that was coming to Next Step. It was for everyone. And there was a lot of people, but Joshua is the one that I think, you know, I gravitated to for whatever reason. And so, Ron Will and Will Alejandro are founders of Joshua Recovery, and they really took me under their wing. It's because of them that I got a, they encouraged me to get my master's in business multiple years later. And I was added to their board. I served on their board for a little over three years as the treasurer. And I just really became a part of that family just so quickly. It's amazing. You know, you just covered what, 20 years in about five (laughs) minutes and I just kept, I I made some notes here, Jessica, but, you know, I just wrote Jesus down, you know, and it's like, 
why were you attracted to Joshua? You know, Joshua is just founded in the tenets of the gospel and what Jesus stood for and how he walked the walk. And, and like you said, you walk into these rooms. That's what I loved about the next step we had. And by the way, for those who don't know what the next step was, it was a, it was a church service at Gingsburg church. We'd have it on Saturday nights, strategically timed around the seven thirty, seven o'clock timeline where people were normally going to bars or going off to do the things that we do as addicts and alcoholics on the weekend. And it was just such a loose environment where people could come in and be themselves. And for the people that were really suffering, they could see the, the light in these other people's lives that had turned their life and their will over to Jesus and had changed. And the way you describe that, Jessica, it's just, you know, I helped facilitate and lead the next step, but to see so many lives transformed, especially yours, where it's almost like, I mean, I think you were, you were telling me earlier, because by the way, just so you know, Jessica is one of my coaches. We meet and talk once a month and, and she was talking about a book, your most recent book around Esther, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Esther team. Yeah. And I thought for such a time as this, when, when Jessica is sharing her journey, that there are just times where God's getting us ready and prepared to put us in a position where, where we can impact more. And I believe that that's where you are today. Obviously your passion for what you do. I get to experience it once a month when we meet and I do some coaching with you, but it just exudes, it comes, it comes out of you. So let's back up here a second. And a couple of th- things that you said around the fact, you know, you had a gambling addiction yeah. and, and this is my personal opinion. I, I feel like when you help those that come into Joshua recovery, obviously you kind of got a leg up on others that may be in the addiction the recovery business, helping others because you've been challenged yourself. And I believe it's easier for those of us, you know, like me, I've been sober for 36 years, but I'll never forget what it was like to be in bondage to that and just the horrible feeling. So does that help you? I mean, can you better relate to the clients you serve because of your challenges? Yeah, I think that a lot of people would say this, but I think that my addiction and granted mine mine was short-lived. It was only a couple of years. It just changed my entire outlook of other humans. I no longer have the need to judge others. Like I, I definitely am thinking about like what could actually be happening in their life because there's so many things you don't know. I think with gambling, it was the easiest of all the addictions so far. What I'm, it's the easiest to hide. Nobody has any idea what I'm doing. You know, as a single person, like there's no one else in my finances. You know, I don't have children, so there's there's no notice of them going without. There's no one who is aware of what I'm doing. And it's not like an outward, I mean, there is, there are behaviors, but you can't put your finger on it because, you know, you you pass drug tests and you, you don't smell like alcohol and you, you know, you don't have like odd body movements or things like that, but your behaviors definitely change. So I think it was so easy for me to hide all of that, which is the darkest place. And I think that's where I relate most to anyone in recovery is that burden of you're truly just hiding all of your truth from everyone, from God, from your family, from your friends. You're you're just in this isolation all alone. Even, even if you're gambling with others or using with others or whatever, there's still nobody really knows 
all that is going into it. So I think it's just a very humbling experience to go through. I know if it wasn't for my, if it wasn't for my addiction, I wouldn't have been brought back to the Lord. I just wouldn't have there. Mm. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm I'm sure he would use something else, but I know that's what he used as his tool to bring me back in. And that's what I believe that we try to show at Joshua. You know, obviously people don't come in. Some people do. Don't give me, you know, some people come into the, our program and they're already on fire for God. And some people, we have a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions from God, sure. like, why? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Why would you allow this? You know, because there was a lot of baggage that built up to the gambling. I didn't just wake up one day and go insane. And I think it's the same with drug addictions. You know, there's, I truly believe that there's a lot of mental health, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that go behind everyone's addiction and definitely happen during it. So I think that's the part that's easiest to relate to. I would say in recovery and services like Next Step, and, and now we go to a service called Fighting Chance, I feel like that church room, it's its the most honest, raw people I've ever met in my life. And it's just so humbling to be around others who are willing to admit we're not perfect, that we are broken, that we do always have work. And that's the part for me that I want everyone in recovery to see, because even yourself, or we have pastors who are in recovery or pastors who have gone through divorce, people who speak so openly as a child of God, but also not perfect. I think it's just that's what we need to understand when we come into recovery. Like we're all going to be different. None of us are going to be perfect. We're going to continue to make mistakes and we're just going to do it together because that's what God has called us to do. Yeah. And you make a great point there. The whole foundation of my podcast, the higher leading podcast is based on impressing upon people, the responsibility they have in leading their own lives because there's some people saying you know i'm not a leader why would i listen to that podcast well you know i i talk about it's people who lead their lives and others to the beat of a higher calling and the most effective leaders whether it's just leading your own life leading others are those who are authentic and that's yeah. what we learn in the 12-step community is we got to stop the bs Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, you know, the yeah. H-O-W, yeah. how, how how do you get sober? How do you stay sober? Number one, you've got to get honest. And I'll never forget when I ask the first person to sponsor me, his name was Vic and Vic was an old, he was an old timer. And I said, Vic, you know, I need a sponsor. Would you sponsor me? And he looked me square in the eyes and he says, I'll sponsor you. And the only, only reason I'll fire you is if, if you lie to me. And I looked him right back in the eye and said, that will be no problem. And I had just said my first lie to him because I lied all the time. I didn't know what right. honesty was. Right. But the program of recovery, it forces us to be authentic. And I, you know, I'm teaching a leadership class next week. And, and I'm, you know, I always pause and talk about the ability to be authentic, to be your real self. Uh, now, Jessica, it takes obviously. When we dig ourselves a hole in this addiction and you say, uh, I wasn't that long, it was two years, but still for you to reach a point where I need help and I need to do some things to get out of this hole, it still requires the same amount of work and effort. So how long did it take you? I mean, like right now you're leading a recovery ministry. You've been on this journey for several years, but when did you start feeling confident in the new the real Jessica. I mean, do you do you recall when that was? It's like, you know what? Yeah, 
Because everybody, you know, I hear this daggone term imposter syndrome today, and I'm tired of hearing it. You know, it's like the good Lord puts us in a position to do his work. Don't let the devil get you thinking you're an imposter. When did you think you were ready? It's like, I'm ready to lead a ministry. Do you remember that moment? Um, (laughs) I think, honestly, for me, it started simple. So it started years ago. Finishing my bachelor's degree, I believe that was in 2014, I had been in and out of college since I was 18, and I was in my 30s at that point. And so finally accomplishing that thing, stopping the self-sabotage, you know, I would always get close to something and I would throw it away. You know, I could have had multiple degrees by that time, but just finally like that piece of paper meant the world to me. To be honest, my dad and my stepmom were my biggest supporters. Seeing my dad when I finally got that piece of paper, it was just a glimpse into, you know, what other people see in you. I say to our residents all the time, like, if their mirror would show them what I see, which isn't even close to what God sees, like, they just completely different lives because when I them, you know, you see their power, you see their strength, you see, you see what they're working with. And yeah, we all have flaws too, but you see the greatness. And I think when you're coming into the recovery, like you just see the crap, you don't, you don't see the awesome things about yourself. So I feel like, I don't know if I ever woke up, like I'm ready I'm the one. I don't know if I ever just had a day that felt like that. I know that I had an amazing circle of people around me who spoke that life into me, who encouraged me. I remember first coming into the church and thinking to myself, like, I was never going to talk to a pastor because they're going to think definitely you're the least of these. They're not going to want to be around. And then like getting to a level where I have my own spiritual mentor. I have multiple pastors in my phone. I have multiple support systems of of different, you know, whether they're a part of the gambling community, a part of my Jesus community, a part of my family community, friend, you know, I have one friend that we've been thick as leaves for 23 years now, having those people and like sharing with them, like, this is an opportunity. Do I try? And what if I fail? But I think I'm going to fail a few times as the director here at Joshua. You know, I'm going to make quite a few mistakes. I've already made quite a few mistakes and that's okay. I think the importance for me right now is to remember this ministry is not mine. This ministry was never mine. Our founder was great at that. You know, this ministry was never his. It's what God called him to do. I do feel that God has called me to be a part of Joshua. So I just have to give that to him every day. And the mornings that I don't give it to him, I sure see every repercussion of that. So it's just important for me to remember like, this isn't mine. You know, literally what would Jesus do in so many moments? I have ego in random moments and belief of like incompetence in other moments, you know, and I just have to like manage through those, you know, somebody gave me the acronym once that ego is edging God out. So I try to remember that. I tell the people that I work with, my trick right now is holding my breath. Like I have to hold my breath for a second before I speak to make sure it's not what I want. It's what he wants. Or if I need to, you know, come back to something, but I don't know that I just woke up one day, like, yep, I'm ready to be in charge of this whole ministry because it's a lot of responsibility. So I just have to remember these people, you know, the staff and the residents, they're, they're not my children. These are God's children. And for this moment of time, so with my Esther, for a moment such as this, they're under the care of Joshua and I'm going to do whatever God leads me to do. And if I slip up a few times, I'm going to talk to God about it and we'll, we'll repair it together. It's interesting because it, it is this whole journey 
called life. It is a process. It's not an event. It's like we're just continuously connecting the dots. And it's good to hear you say you were called, you're there, you're going to do it to the best of your ability, the way Jesus wants it done by not letting your ego creep in. I was making some notes this morning about a a chalk talk I'm going to do on a podcast here in the future around serenity. And that serenity prayer is so daggone powerful. God help me accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and a wisdom to know the difference. And what I just heard you say is as you've grown, you've grown in wisdom. You know what you can control, what you can change, and you know the things that, hey, here you go, God. Here you go, Jesus. I'm turning this one over to you because really, number one, don't know what to do. And that's where I think this whole imposter syndrome, it's easy for people to say that if they don't really know Jesus. And you know what I mean? It's like, in some ways, uh, I feel like it's an insult to him when we say, I don't deserve to be in this role. Well, obviously somebody thought you deserve to be in the role. So yeah, I don't know if the if the word it needs to be deserve. You know, I think that we have a lot of words that we use like faults. And, you know, I just don't know if those are the right words. I feel called to be in this role currently. You never know what God's gonna do because I promise you nothing in the last 10 years was by my design. I know that. So I think that it's just you have to stop saying like what we deserve and what we don't. Like whatever position you are in life, you can lead from wherever you are. You can love others from wherever you are. So I don't think, you know, the titles and all of those things, I think that's the hardest part for me is having, I call it like a big girl. Like I have such a big girl title right now, but it's not really my title. Like it's, it's God's title and he's using me in this moment. And I just feel like if we all stay focused on that, this is what he's using me for right now. And hopefully he will continue to use me for eternity. I hope. I love that. I love that. That's so true. And the words we use, deserved versus I'm called. You know what I mean? I'm just called. I'm I'm going to give my best. Okay. So I'm going to back up here a second. This being National Recovery Month, and I'm highlighting yeah. three agencies that's very near and dear to me. The Refuge Ohio, Tom Thompson. I'm talking to Tom. I'm going to talk to the people at Emerge Recovery and Trade Initiative, and then Joshua Recovery. And each one of them, you know, I want to give you ample time to share with the listeners, because everybody, everyone has somebody that needs help. And so if I'm looking for help in the Dayton region, what can Joshua do for me? Or how can I contact Joshua? Just kind of go through the steps, if you wouldn't mind, take a few minutes so our listeners can understand what you do. So Joshua is specifically recovery housing. So we currently have three men's houses, a women's house, and two apartment buildings that are utilized for maternity women. So women who are either pregnant or just recently had a baby. We're one of the very few that do the maternity. So that's that's a big call for us. So the recovery housing, though, our top expectation is 30 days of sobriety. So somebody would have to have 30 days of sobriety. If you don't have that, we'll be more than happy to link you. You know, there's so many amazing inpatient treatment centers here in Dayton, thankfully, and the surrounding area that we can link you with to get that first 30 days under your belt. And then after that, they would fill out an application. They would do an interview with our two case managers and, you know, just decide, is this the right place for you? So, you know, you have to live with other people. The foundation of Joshua is community. So you live in a house and our regular houses, there's approximately five people in a house. 
So you're, you know, living with your brothers and or your sisters in Christ, typically all at different stages of recovery. You know, some people, this might be day 31 and some people, this might be two years in. You're living together in this community. We connect you with a spiritual mentor, someone to help you navigate how the word is valid today. Like, what does this mean to us today? Because I think there's a lot of struggle of like, you know, this was written hundred years ago. And, and the biggest thing right now is like, there's so many different translations. How do you know which translation and which one is real? And so having that person be able to walk around you, like just circle you to love you, to, to share God's word with you and, and how to best interpret it into your day to day. Everybody's required to get a sponsor and work through the 12 steps. It's obviously something that they do on their own. And then we just go through some coursework. Like we do journey to freedom, which is just a great text, you know, like a, an early journey path onto to who you were and to what God's calling you to do and talks about things like forgiveness and and who you are and your self-worth. We do love sex and dating because unfortunately, you know, in our addiction, we don't treat ourselves well. So we don't treat other people well. And then financial peace, because money, number one, is a huge trigger. But also, most of us don't know how to manage our dollars. Like, how do you make a budget? How do you know that you can afford this apartment, this house, this car, this whatever adventure? So very easy, I believe, to get in our program. Well, it's not very easy because 30 days of sobriety isn't easy. So let me not say that. But once you complete that 30 days of sobriety, it's very easy to get into our program. And you just have a willingness to be open to the Christian faith and a willingness to attend meetings and build your community. The one question is, is there any type of finances? I mean, if I come to Joshua, what's it going to cost me to? So at our maternity housing, we're really blessed to have that fully funded. However, the women at maternity can only stay for one year. So the women at maternity have no dues, no fees, but they do have a year timeline. Okay. On the other side of our ministry, your first three weeks are free. And then after that time, it gives you time to like settle into the meetings. It gives you time to find a job. It gives you time for those things. And then there are weekly dues and it just depends on your role. Like we do have a house steward in the house, which is typically a graduate. So somebody who's been through the program, that side of the program takes approximately six months. If it was perfectly done six months, but we are in recovery. So it averages about nine, I would say to complete. And even after you complete, though, on that side, you don't have to leave. So if you're a house steward, you have the least of dues. We have a team lead and then other residents. So I'll just approximate. Like, so for a new resident, you would have three full weeks and then it would be $90 a week. Okay. The thing is, I mean, I, I come to Joshua and I understand the 30 day. Lord, thank God the insurance paid for treatment centers back when I was getting <laughs> straight because I was in a treatment center for five weeks and it took me two weeks because I was an opioid and a barbiturate addict and my my body was just turning inside out. So I understand the 30 days. You want these people that that have been through the rough part, they've made some type of commitment. I also think it's great that you're asking them to find work and starting to build responsibility back in their lives. And now the maternity piece, and I know just from talking to you, I mean, some of these mothers have been separated from their children, right? Right. And then they get sober, they stay sober, they start turning their lives around. And then sounds like there's oftentimes they get their kids back. Is, Is that happen very often? Yeah. So especially Joshua is really blessed. Like we work with Promise to Hope, which is out of Miami Valley Hospital, the Women's Berry Center, which has amazing resources for them between addictionologists and their OBs. 
We work with Bridges Path if their child is born. And, you know, we as opiate addicts, they would potentially be on medications. The baby is going to withdraw still, you know, from things like that. Bridges Path is an amazing facility. Thankfully, that is right down the street from us. They've allowed the babies to come there. The woman can still be in our program. So we just really partnered with them because they can room in with their babies there, but they can also come back to us and take breaks because early recovery in hormones is so much. It's just so much. And so, you know, they do need breaks sometimes. They can have visits with their other children. Some of them are nowhere close to that. Some of them, they're whoever is caretaking their other children have just been waiting for them to be in a safe environment for that to happen. So their other children can come visit. Their other children can have an overnight. They just can't live, live there. But we have seen, you know, a significant amount of girls who, if they do already have children and have the potential of regaining custody, it's a nice process to slowly come back into their child's life, you know, not to completely uproot it, but to, you know, have a visit here or there and then have an overnight here or there and then have a weekend. And then when they move into their own place, you know, having more time and really rebuilding those relationships. So yeah, yeah, they do have a lot of freedom with that. The only, the only rule is, is that their new baby, the baby that is a part of Joshua cannot spend the night anywhere without them. You know, we're responsible for that mother and for that child. So grandma can't come over and take the baby for a night. Grandma can come and take mommy and baby for a night, but yeah. And I think about all the work you just mentioned. I mean, I mean, it's easy to view this and to see it and, and to warm our hearts. I mean, I remember when you had me talk at Fighting Chance, which yeah. is the recovery church service about a year ago. And and I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary before I spoke and, and I watched these mothers come in with their babies and, and I just start crying. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Being an addict, one of the things I feared most was losing my family, losing the respect of my kids. And now my kids, you know, 40, 37, 35, they're grown. And I'm so grateful for that. But I would, those tears were tears of joy because I know how hard it is. Those mothers are kind of wanting to break a cycle. You know, there's some type of cycle they got born into. Maybe if they can't, they're giving their kids hope. And, and Jessica, I just applaud you on the work. I've been to the maternity homes, probably more there recently than the men's homes. And I sit there as a business coach. I see a lot of work. I mean, you guys do a lot of work to help rebuild these lives. And I kind of go back to the calling piece because I know there's days you know, you'll share with me when we're coaching, you're not getting much sleep. And I'm like, Jessica, what are you doing to take care of yourself? You got to take, you know, give yourself oxygen first, but as fulfilling as it is, do you see like this work? Is, is it work for you or is it? So sometimes, so, you know, when I started at Joshua, I started at maternity and just maternity. And I think that as the executive director, there's some things that are work, right? Because the behind the scenes is work the funding and the the donors and things like that, you know, that's work to find the right people, but the work is worth it. When you go to any of the houses, genuinely any of the houses, there is a special love at maternity because babies, just because these babies, they have a a whole chance to never see their mother in that way, to Mm. never, never know, to never have any of that to have a life where their mom, they have a lot of aunties and grannies and 
they have a lot of, of love from other people and it may not be the biological family, but they're just surrounded. I see a lot of our residents end up maternity when you, when you are going through all of these things together, especially they're still friends. They've graduated, they've moved on. They're still connected. Even those who don't fully finish the program, you don't have to graduate to be successful. Yeah, They're just too well and they're raising their children together and they're in these friendships. And that's an amazing thing. It's just an amazing thing to see. Plus also as a person who doesn't have children and I don't want to have children, but it's so nice to go snuggle somebody else's baby and give it back. So it's a little bit, you know, that part's definitely not work. Like I can give moms a break and away their child and, you know, hand it back when they're done. And I just think like the staff, it was really hard for me to staff maternity. I would think that that, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I'm sure you remember us going through just Everyone has a heart for it, but I don't think people understand how hard it truly is. You know, you're in their living space. You know, we have staff at maternity from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. So you are truly in their day-to-day life. And it's hard to set those boundaries. It's hard to give things to God. It is hard to not have reactions. But the women that are there now, and of course, the only women can work there, but the women that are there now are just such a blessing. They do things that aren't required, which makes my heart so happy. You know, New Hope has a service on Saturday nights. And and after this worship, they get to karaoke and they get snacks and they go there by choice, you know, and build their community. They have a Bible study on Sunday with the woman who's working there now, just in a nice open room. And by Bible study, I just mean, we're just reading the Bible and like pausing every so many verses to like, are we good? Do we understand what's happening? You know, like just talking through it with each other so that we actually understand what we're reading and we do all of that with like bottles and diapers and crying, <laughs> crawling. And, yeah. And it's awesome. And and everybody's peaceful about it. We found a lot of 12-step meetings that are so welcoming to the moms. Christina, who's the assistant director over there, has been telling me, you know, like sometimes they walk into a meeting and people who are strangers to Christina and I are just coming up, like, you know, taking their babies. Like it's just such a community with them. And that's really beautiful. But even on the other side, like in our regular women's house, we have a few women over there that have gone above and beyond and repairing the relationships with their children who are obviously a little bit older and just getting to see them like walk in their motherhood. And then in the men's houses, like oh, yeah. actually having visitation with their children and, and bringing them to different events. And especially with this being, you know, recovery month, there's so many rallies in the Dayton area. There's so many exciting things coming up and all of those things have a section for children. It's like the whole recovery world knows like this is important. Let's celebrate recovery. I know a lot of those locations are having something for, for the children, for like different age groups and, you know, just really involving the kids because your kids are so much smarter than you think. They know what you're doing. They know, you know, they may not understand, understand, but they know. So just being with them. And, and that's where I think the cycle is being broken is the community as a whole, like, inviting families in, not just the addict, inviting the whole family in. So we're really blessed to get to do that at Joshua. The the next is, you know, the next step, having a place where all of these people can go, you know, they now have a year of sobriety under their belt and they build up their community. And we're just really struggling in that, like, where do they live now? Like after they leave us. So yeah, I know that's part of your future vision for Joshua. And we've talked about that. And, and I, you know, a couple of things here is, I know I was on the Miami County Recovery Council for many years and I've been around recovery in this region for a long time. And I just feel like we do such a great job that the people that are in it, that are 
in the trenches day to day, it's recovery is so strong here. When we talk about Joshua, and believe it or not, Jessica, we're coming up on our time here. We're going to have to close this out. I mean, it went so fast and I got notes. We're going to do another podcast because I really want to talk to you uh, about your leadership role. You know what I mean? Because that, that's another hour we could talk about and all the things you, you have to do. But the mission of Joshua Recovery, could you share it with the listeners? Yeah. So our mission is to provide safe housing and Christ-centered holistic recovery-based program just to help those we serve achieve a life of sobriety. Our mission is just to bring God in, but all the things, you know, if, if they need mental health counseling, if they still need like an AOD treatment, like IOP, OP, like whatever, whatever it is that they need, um, prayer, meditation, all of, all of those tools just to really build up their toolkit and enlarge their community is just all we're trying to do. There's a, there's a lot of there's not a lot. There's a few other uh, faith-based programs. I believe that they, you know, feel the same. Like we all try to just, just build that unity between us so that we don't see the relapse. Yeah. Yeah. And then something that obviously we've been talking about and I want to kind of close on this is what do you see in 10 years? Joshua Recovery Ministries. I mean, and it's something I have found with you, Jess, you have a strength of a vision, a futuristic thinker. You're always thinking forward, looking around the corner, which is a, a key trait to being in a leadership role. 10 years from now, you know, we're talking 2033. I'm probably in a retirement community. You're still cranking it out. What's Joshua Recovery Ministries look like then? I believe Joshua looks like it does now, but so much bigger. My next goal, my next hope, what I want to focus on the most is, and I think the majority of the recovery community would say, I would love to have an apartment complex, a minimum of two-bedroom apartments where people, no matter if they came from Joshua or not, it doesn't matter if they came from Joshua, but people who have come from recovery can have a safe place to live, a safe place to bring their children, a safe place to build their families, a place where like when they walk outside of their apartment door, there's not a drug deal down the hall or whatever, you know, just the next step for them and affordable housing. I think we all know that housing is just skyrocketed right now. So that's a tricky part. And I believe the rest of the program that we currently do, I believe it's going to grow. I do. I think what I've noticed is it's harder for women. So I think we need to spend a lot of time focusing on that, sharing with women the okay to do that 30 days and not go straight back home to mm-hmm. the okay to take care of themselves. You know, recovery is a process and not to, to jump in the fire too soon. But I just really see Joshua growing in many ways. I see our relationships excuse me, with other people in the community really growing, you know, there's a lot of organizations, we're all a little different, but we all have that faith-based factor. And I just see us all, you know, coming together, working together. I would love to say in 10 years that there wouldn't be a need for Joshua, but that's just not, I would love to say in 10 years that I'm doing customer service somewhere. I don't know, (laughs) but but that's not, you know, I'm on mission trips for life or something. I don't know, but that's just not, I don't see that in the future. The opioid epidemic, it gets ever more tricky. There's always a new concoction out on the streets, a new deadly 
potent thing. The meth is on a rise, alcohol, especially during COVID, you know, like just so many things have increased that I don't see that will be gone. So I just genuinely see, you know, the current staff that we have now, like we're just working together to continue our foundation. You know, I've only been the director for a year, so we still have some kinks to work out and just continuing to grow and serving as many people as we possibly can in whatever manner, you know, more outreach moments. I think that's really great for our residents and obviously the community and just building this little Jesus empire, I guess. I love it. I love it. Jesus empire. And you know, <laughs> you just do it one life at a time. Yeah. There's so many I mean, people. Really, when you see one change, like, you know, you see a lot of people fall. You really do. But I'm really blessed to be in a position right now where the majority of my staff has been in my life in the past in different manners and to see what they've been able to do with their life through recovery and just being able to spread that to the next one. Like it's what keeps motivating you. Everybody's not going to make it. I think, I think recovery has about a 20% chance. 20% of the people will get it. And that might be the 32nd time that they make it to that 20%, but we're open. We're open to people returning. We're open to people, you know, just whatever, whatever God is doing in their life. And and whatever we can do to to help them. Yeah. Well, Jessica, this has been great. And I just can't tell you enough how much I respect you for what you're doing in this role, your drive, your commitment, your passion. And I think above all this, your passion for Christ and trying to do the next right thing according to the way he operated. And, And I applaud you. It's like I said, up top, Joshua has a special place in my heart, always will. I've seen lives changed, transformed over the years. I'll continue to to be your biggest fan and I'll be your coach as long as you need me. (laughs) And and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us on the podcast. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. You too. Wow. What a joy it was to spend that time with Jessica you know, I've been associated with Joshua Recovery Ministries since their inception, and they do such great work in the Miami Valley, Dayton, Ohio region. And if you know someone that needs help, I'll reach out to them. They'll, they, they certainly will either help that person or guide them to where they can get the help that they need. A couple of notes that I made is uh, Jessica said, This ministry is not mine. It's God's and I'm his servant. And I love how she used the word ministry. You know, a lot of people take possession of their job or or the organizations they're leading, but but it's a ministry. And she, she used the word calling several times. And she even mentioned that a calling is hard and challenging, but turning it over to God early and often gives one the strength and wisdom to navigate successfully. And I think back in, in my years of, of leading healthcare pharmacy, when, when everything kind of flipped for me and I had more peace in, in leading the organization, it's when I realized it was a calling, man. I mean, I'm leading to the beat of a higher calling. That's what this podcast is all about. So hopefully you are leaving this podcast with, with a, a couple of additional nuggets of wisdom to add to your leadership arsenal. And, uh, you know, I always want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. There's no bigger compliment to me than for you to share this podcast with someone you know. Our goal is pretty simple. I mean, it's to positively impact the world through the conveyance of our God-guided episodes. And we make that impact one life at a time. So if you can pass, pass this on to one person after each episode, I know we're going to make an impact. 
And as I prepare to sign off, I challenge you with the words of my personal mission statement. Dream more, be more, and live in the light more. Take care. I'll be back. I hope you'll be back too.